Good morning. Three minutes after 8 o'clock. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. The headline, Apple handily beats estimates and posts a sharp rise in profits. The subhead is Apple stock gets punished after iPhone sales disappoint. We'll tell you why in just a moment. In other headline stories, Caterpillar reports strong earnings. ICBC and China Credit Trust announce a bailout of a troubled trust product in China. And the markets settle down globally a bit. We'll have details in a moment, but first, this little tease of what's to come. Currencies are a thin end of the wedge, really. Are they going to be the catalyst mm. which triggers this credit unwind? Mm. If they do, then we've got big, big problems ahead, really. And particularly if this goes towards China, really. China is the bulwark there that's right. holding this all together. That's Alan Ruskin at Deutsche Bank. Uh, he was also asked about the Asian financial crisis back in 97, 98. Pretty much an EM-related crisis in 97 and 98. Uh, the U.S. did very, very well out of that. U.S. growth actually maintained growth in the order of about 4 to 5%. And I think, uh, once again, the U.S. is probably the place to be, really. Making a point there to which our first guest would likely vehemently disagree. Our guests this morning on the program include that first guest, David Goldman from the Reorient Group, on the turbulence in markets. Mr. Goldman thinks the U.S. is not in recession in name only, and he thinks that China is in much better shape than what some people think. So we'll be talking about uh, this uh, crisis that we see at the moment with him and also what's happening on the ground in China. Also on the program, Wei Gu from the Wall Street Journal, who will weigh in on trust products in China. So we'll get a little bit of uh, more exposure on that uh, big story too. And then we'll be speaking with Vinay Dubey, who's Senior Vice President of Delta Airlines. Delta just had a very good quarter and business seems to be rather good. Okay, a peek at the markets as they are opening here in Asia this morning. The Nikkei is up 32 points at 15,038. As I mentioned, markets have settled just a little. Australia down this morning, though the ASX 200 down 60 points. That's a little more than 1.1%. Percent at fifty one ninety four dollar yen. Not much of change. One zero two sixty seven. The euro now one point three six seven four U S dollars. The pound at twelve Hong Kong dollars and eighty seven cents. So the August guests coming in just a moment. But first, a little bit of news flow. Turkey's central bank has called a special meeting this morning. Back to Mr. Ruskin. He says they will need to raise interest rates. Now the market's looking for a serious interest rate hike. That's key, really. I think uh, the central banks have to be serious. They have to signal to the marketplace that they're willing to take some pain, if necessary, in terms of stopping the, uh, the, the riot that we've got effectively in some currencies like uh, Turkey. The risk is that they may solve one problem but create another. The problem here is, do you get into a cycle where you have to hike interest rates so much that you do impair your asset cycle, that properties and real estate does turn down right. sharply? The risk is that that is what happens, really. And uh, so we'll be waiting to see what the Turkish Central Bank announces. Uh, well, this was kind of hard to believe if you saw the lines outside the Apple stores around Christmas time that iPhone sales disappointed in this latest quarter. It's true. Apple sold a record 51 million iPhones, but that was a long way short of the nearly 55 million that analysts were expecting. The company also said that revenue would be 42 to 44 billion in the current quarter. Analysts were looking for 46 billion. Profit was $13.1 billion or $14.50 a share, and that uh, compared very favorably to estimates of $14.07 a share. The reason uh, was that they actually sold a lot more iPads than expected, uh, if fewer iPhones. The stock, anyway, in after hours was down 5 to 6%.
In some other news, the vice chairman of the Bitcoin Foundation has been arrested and charged with conspiring to launder more than a million dollars in the virtual currency. Charlie Schrem, uh, just 24 years old, was arrived as he arrived back in New York after giving a speech in Amsterdam. The BBC's Dave Lee has details. So the key charge here is money laundering and, and the way they, uh, the authorities say these two men did this was by one of the men, uh, Charlie Shrem, ran this website called BitInstant which was a, uh, a Bitcoin exchange. So somewhere where you went to to say, okay, I've got $50, I'd like $50 worth of, of Bitcoin. Um, and then what the other defendant did, uh, Robert Faella, he uh, was working, the authorities say, with Charlie Shrem to um, take those funds and pass them on further to people who wanted specifically to buy uh, drugs using Bitcoin. So what the authorities say is that uh, Robert uh, Faella was using uh, this to pass on to, to people who wanted drugs and what Charlie Shrem was doing, his main charge, was that he was knowingly allowing this to happen. On Wall Street, stocks were down for the day. Investors still a bit nervous about emerging markets. I think we have to go back to the middle of uh, last year, really, in terms of uh, you know what was actually going on. So there was definitely weakness that was permeating through all the current account deficit countries. People felt that these countries had grown too fast. The key source of this, and I think people mistake this, really, is this, this is a credit problem for most of these countries, really. This is excess credit manifesting itself in the current account in external deficits. People are, are sort of focusing on uh, the symptom and not really the cause. Caterpillar was up 6%. That, by the way, was back to uh, uh, the guest I played earlier this morning, Alan Ruskin at Deutsche Bank. Caterpillar up 6% after announcing a stock buyback and forecasting earnings above analyst estimates. In the end, the S&P 500 was down 0.5% at 1781. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 41 points at 15,837. And the yield on the 10-year Treasury ticked up a couple of points, uh, a couple of uh, uh, pips to uh, 27 Gold now $1,256.90, an ounce down $6.50. Good morning now to David Goldman, Managing Director and Head of the Americas at the Reorient Group. Mr. Goldman, good morning. Nice to have you with us here in our studios in Admiralty. Um, It's interesting. I've been reading your pieces here of late, and you're fairly negative on the United States while fairly positive on China. That seems to be just the reverse of what the the kind of conventional wisdom is at the moment. Well, they're both very mixed pictures, but the China mix, uh, I think, is in balance a great deal more positive. Uh, Over the last five quarters, sales or revenues of the S&P 500 companies are actually down. So the ratio of stock price to revenues has gone up by a staggering amount. Uh, I can't really think of a precedent for it. Um, there's very, it's very difficult to see sources of growth in the United States. The employment picture is mediocre on the base of the headline numbers, two and a half million jobs added in the course of the recovery. But if you adjust that for the number of hours worked, it's really the equivalent of just one million jobs recovered after a huge destruction of employment. So that's a very weak picture indeed. And capital investment is certainly the weakest of uh, any supposed recovery we've had. So it's really a very stagnant picture. As I said, a recovery in name only. And the driver of this is that household income in the United States, median income, is down 10% since 2000. People simply don't have the incomes. Companies aren't getting the sales. They're not investing. Isn't this just kind of an adjustment process of uh, the West deflating a little bit and the East uh, coming up and that it's kind of natural and we shouldn't uh, be too surprised? 
Well, I think there are long-term trends which are uh, quite worrying underlying this. For example, if you take Americans with a high school education or less, fewer than half of adults outside of prison or the Army are actually working. It's an exceptional situation. People with bachelor's degrees, with a college education, for the most part do have jobs, but the uh, the fact that half of our less educated workforce is not working at all is extraordinary, and the so-called labor force participation rate is the lowest that it's been in more than 30 years. That's alarming because it suggests we've got a pool accumulating of people who simply are not employable in the modern economy. And it seems to be crystallizing the fact that even with interest rates at zero for a long, long time, you're only getting 2 to 3% growth. Well, that's right. And a lot of that growth in the last couple of quarters was, of course, uh, inventories. Um, if you look at where consumers are taking on credit for purchases, uh, really the only important category of purchases has been automobiles, but that's because the average age of a car in American roads is 11 and a half, 11 and a half years. So much of our automobile stock is simply falling apart. People have got to replace them. But as your Apple example indicates, we've had you know, very poor retail sales results on some of the more profitable items. And they have, you know, it tells a big story uh, as well about uh, deploying capital. They have so much cash on the balance sheet that uh, people like Carl Icahn are asking for them to at least uh, pay it back in uh, stock buyback, uh, if not dividends. Um, others would like to see them invest in new products. Um, why is it that there is something like $1.5 trillion or $2 trillion on the balance sheet? We can ask Vinay a little, uh, Vinay a little bit later because he's a, a top executive with Delta. Why aren't they deploying it? Well, that's an extremely good question. Uh, one estimate is that globally there's $4.5 trillion of cash in balance sheets. In the United States, virtually all of that cash is concentrated in fewer than 20 companies, and many of them don't have an obvious way to deploy it. Apple alone has more cash than the whole of the Russell 2000 index of small and mid-cap companies put together. And Apple's a design company. They don't buy factories. They don't buy brick and mortar. There's no way for them to deploy the cash. So I think Carl Icahn is exactly right. They should return it to shareholders. Um, uh, and they're making quite a mistake not to. It's, it's a real structural uh, change that's happening. Uh, so you could probably say that uh, a lot of unemployment is cyclical in nature, but a lot is structural. Um, you've got uh, companies uh, that can invest in innovation, but they need uh, you know, really uh, skills-biased people. They don't need people with high school uh, uh, graduate only. And uh, it takes a lot of money. Uh, it's just not an easy. I think somebody pointed this out yesterday, it may have been uh, on CNN, that GM at its height employed 500,000 Americans, and now Apple employs 50,000 Americans, both, both companies being the biggest American companies at that time. Oh, that's right. What we've got in America is hardly a perfect storm, but it's certainly a nasty set of headwinds, shortages of skilled labor, uh, an innovation unfriendly environment, very high corporate tax rates, oppressive regulation. The Obamacare mess, which is uh, 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 very vexing for corporate planning. Uh, turn it to China. I think, again, you've got a very mixed picture, uh, but the mix is quite different. Um, You're not worried about uh, you know what's happening with trust products sort of being a Lehman moment? Oh, no, it's not a Lehman moment. I mean, China has nearly $4 trillion worth of foreign exchange reserves. It's a rich country in that respect. 
and certainly can handle any crisis. In the extreme case, they could uh, recapitalize the banks. There's no Lehman moment. Uh, there is a great deal of stubbing toes on the part of the central banks, uh, central bank and the bank regulators because uh, they're quite new at the game and they've done a lot of things uh, very poorly and given bad signals to the market. Uh, I think the single most important fact from an investing standpoint in China is that the information technology sector in China has doubled in value in the stock market in the past year. That's been one of the great investing stories. It's a lot of money chasing uh, too few issues, though. Well, that's exactly right. Uh, The two most dynamic companies in China, the ones I personally would most like to own, I can't. They're Alibaba, which is not yet public, and Huawei, which is, of course, um, employee-owned. But as we get the pipeline of IPOs coming in, of course, the IPOs, there's People have been starved for products. You've seen some extreme price action. I think there will be a huge shift in market capitalization and wealth towards the new China, the China of high-tech, consumer, Internet, and so forth, away from the old China of smokestacks, cheap labor, and exports. So you would advise uh, people now, investors, to direct their firepower to consumer-oriented companies in China. Well, Uh, I think high-tech is good. I think there are a number of sectors, not just internet, but also uh, high-speed rail, uh, will continue to be a huge source of expansion. I think uh, a sleeping uh, dragon is Chinese aerospace. Uh, I think that sector, as as China begins to produce its own planes, is going to be uh, enormously important. So, the high-tech and consumer-oriented side of the Chinese economy, I think, will become will come to dominate market capitalization. And you'll see a new generation of entrepreneurs, the Chinese Bill Gateses, with vast amounts of wealth in the stock market to be used as currency to start reorganizing some of the more slugger state-owned um, enterprises. Okay, just a brief word on uh, Turkey. You heard me play a few clips there from Alan Ruskin uh, about the Turkish Central Bank likely to raise interest rates. Uh, you've got a lot of different stories out there when you look at Russia, Brazil, Argentina, with their devaluation of the peso and, and uh, Turkey. Um, does it end badly, uh, or w- will we get through it? I think it ends badly for Turkey, and the knock-on effects will be severe but short-lived. Uh, Turkey, uh, Alan was exactly right. If you, uh, Turkey has increased its total bank lending in the past year by 40%. It's the biggest credit bubble in the world. I can't think of a bubble quite as fast and big as Turkish lending. And this has put vast amounts of sums in the hands of con- uh, consumers who have bought foreign products. That produces a huge current account deficit at 8% of GDP. Huge financing requirements. They finance it short term. So Turkey has a perfect storm. And because Moody's was misguided enough to give them an investment grade rating last May, Turkish paper is used as collateral for further loans by hedge funds and banks all over the world. So that's why it's dangerous in Turkey, but not dangerous in Argentina because their loans weren't used. Uh, there was nothing uh, used as collateral. Exactly. Argentina's credit has been garbage for 10 years. So you can't 
use Argentine paper to borrow anything else. Argentina is a nasty situation, but that's largely so that because doesn't spread. they have okay. a silly government shooting themselves in the foot. All right, David, thank you very much for joining. I don't know you, so I should call you Mr. Goldman. Thank you very much for joining us here. David Goldman, Managing Director and Head of the Americas at the Reorient Group. They're a little negative on the U.S., but they're bond guys, I think. So, you know, they tend to be a little pessimistic and a little nervous and a little careful about these things. 19 minutes now after 8 o'clock. This is Money for Nothing, and I'm Brian Curtis reporting. Well, ICBC says investors uh, in a troubled high-yield trust can recoup their funds. They'll be able to get their principal back. Earlier, China Credit Trust had tipped this, telling investors to contact their advisors. And we've got Wei Gu, editor of China Wealth and Luxury at the Wall Street Journal, with us on the line. Wei, good morning. Good morning, Brian. So do you think this one ends badly, or do you think that it, it sort of ends okay? Oh, it ends very well for the investors. ICBC chairman originally was saying at Davos that this is not going to be, the losses are not going to be absorbed by the banks and the investors themselves have to learn a lesson. In the end, they learned no lesson um, because they are recouping their principal and there are even some reports saying that they will still have interest as well in 7%. Well, this is not confirmed by us, but, uh, but there are some Chinese media reports out there saying that they will also earn a nice interest. So when I say does it end badly, I don't so much mean this one particular issue, but the whole story. Well, the whole story definitely was played very well in the um, in the Western media as well as in Chinese media. I think it, uh, well, you're right. This is not really a great conclusion to be had. I think ICBC chairman was right. Investors need to take responsibility for their own decisions. But on the other hand, you can also see why they're upset because currently due to the uh, involvement and various uh, meddling by the Chinese government in, in this issue, well, the rates are quite distorted. You can see the risk-free rates are quite high because of the short crunch, short-term money crunch in the system. On the other hand, the longer-term rates are not high enough to compensate investors for the risk because of that implied guarantee that investors believe in. But one good thing about this is it will definitely send a warning, even if these investors are made whole for the principal, perhaps not interest, but it will scare others and they may trim their positions. Isn't that maybe a better way to approach it rather than have a default and see what the contagion uh, brings up? Well, this is not the first time that this has happened. Um, talks about something may default. Well, I don't think the investors have really learned their lesson. Well, when this happens, their inclination may be, okay, I need to be more careful, especially when I'm buying some mining products which are higher risk. But they still take the view that if I'm taking a return of 5 to 7%, and that should be okay. But that's not really the right approach. The right approach is look at the underlying um, assets, the, the loans that you're actually lending to, and see whether that's high risk or low risk. So 
I think investors are still quite forgetful. I was talking to some um, who said uh, now looking back that uh, they felt that they have um, when they invested in these trust products, it was quite risky. But there is no guarantee that they won't do it again. Yes, uh, Bill Gross on Twitter this morning uh, says, sounds familiar as to 2008. Be careful with your money. Uh, is this a Lehman-like moment? I put this to the guest earlier. Is this a Lehman-like moment in China? Oh, do you mean the Lehman mini bond issue where we had in uh, Hong Kong? No, that's not what uh, they're referring to. But uh, this bailout, um, you know, although Lehman wasn't bailed out, Bear Stearns was. And uh, then uh, when Lehman wasn't bailed out, uh, you had all hell break loose. And we had a crisis that lasted five years. Are we looking at a major crisis in China over the next many years? Well, the whole trust product, um, I know they are having a lot of talk about how this shadow banking may explode. Uh, I did look at how much of the shadow banking, the trusted products money, were invested in high-risk items. So it looks like properties, um, well, properties is the higher risk, but in fact, the percentage is not that high. It has been reducing over the years to something like 10% last year. Well, infrastructure that has problems as well from the local government, but even that is not uh, so the so the approach is we're currently majority of these products are still investing in short-term fixed income uh, even money market funds instead of uh, to risky companies so I think um, the right approach is not really to look at a big number and say if all of them go bad and that would be a Lehman like moment the right approach would be to look into how much percentage is really risky loans and it looks like the banks the trust companies. They have started okay. to learn this. Okay. Thanks uh, very much, Wei Gu, editor of China Wealth and Luxury at the Wall Street Journal. News time now, 24 and a half minutes after 8 o'clock. Well, Delta Airlines has been investing heavily to win the hearts of Asian consumers with new products and services uh, to the continental United States. These include links to more U.S. cities in an upgrade, an upgraded cabin experience. And we are joined in our studios by Vinay Dubey, Senior Vice President for the Asia Pacific at Delta Airlines. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Nice to have you back here on Money for Nothing. Um, you. So you had a very good quarter last quarter, and it seems that, you know, Delta's doing fine, whereas it, it seems like uh, a business that would be very hard to, to be in these days. Uh, tell us why you're doing well. Yeah, thank you, Brian. We had a, a really good quarter, $558 million in, in pre-tax income and, and a good year as well, $2.7 billion of pre-tax income. And just to put it in context, Brian, we don't think any U.S. airline in the history of U.S. aviation has had a year that has generated $2.7 billion of pre-tax income. So this really is a historical moment for Delta, but for U.S. aviation as well. Is part of the reason that oil prices have come down quite a bit in uh, the last year? Well, they've come down uh, within the last year, but, uh, but when you look at U.S. aviation history, um, we're at the point where oil prices are substantially higher than what they were 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, with the exception of, of a few periods of crisis. So I don't think that's the reason. I think you know, part of that is a tribute to Delta, but we put that aside for just a second. But a part of that is really just a fundamental change in the U.S. aviation business and the three principal drivers of that. 
What are those three principal drivers? Uh, I think the first one uh, is consolidation. Yeah. And uh, and that uh, that is an important driver. You just Second, have a, a many fewer airlines than we used to have. That's that's correct. And and in a you know capital intensive business, there are economies of scale that come with consolidation. The second one is that the airlines as a whole have been able to uh, find a way to pass uh, the, the, the cost of goods sold back to the consumer. So and raising so, prices. Okay. Well, well, not just raising prices in and of itself. But charging but, for everything under the sun. We, we, f- we found a way to be able to relate the cost of fuel to the price of a ticket. And it's funny. Um, six years ago, I was in a cab in Minneapolis, and that's the time we had you know, the run-up of fuel to $125 a barrel. And I walk into this cab, and there's a little sign in the cab, just a hand-printed note, and, and the similar hand-printed note was in every cab, which says, we're going to charge you, you know, an extra 30% for your cab ride. End of story. And it was all over the U.S., everywhere. Mm. And at that point, I sort of wished, you know, why can't the airline industry just find a way to take a, a cost item, which is now close to 40% of our total cost, and that's where fuel is, and find a way to price that back into the cost of the ticket. And right. I think over the last few years, we found a way to do that, and that's number two. And the third fundamental change is really the access uh, to capital. Um, and, and these oh, days, yeah, cheaper capital. Yeah. Well, so, and, and today it's it's a lot harder. Today, when someone lends you money, they want to they want to see it back. You can't buy an airplane without a without an appropriate plan to return the the money back to the the lender or the the lessor. Um, would a, a fairly big drop in aluminum prices also be good news for uh, airlines, or would uh, that be good for Boeing, not so much for Delta? Yeah, that uh, that I think primarily for Boeing, uh, but in the in the long run, you know, any costs that can get passed through to the airline uh, would certainly help. Do you buy your airlines or do you lease them? Uh, well, it's historically been a combination, but over the last year, we've been able to generate five billion dollars in operating cash flow. And, uh, you know, when it comes to our balance sheet, we've had a real focus on paying down debt. So about three and a half, four years ago, we had $17 billion of debt and we closed uh, 2013 with under under $10 billion. And so in the future, we'd like to pay for our uh, planes in cash. Um, we're, we journalists are not like lawyers. Um, you know, we, we are allowed to ask questions that we don't know the answer to. Um, <laughs> uh, and I remember, uh, you know, back in the day that Delta always came in as one of the top five most respected companies in America. And that all but vanished um, a a few years back. Uh, What happened and are you getting it back? Yeah, sure. Um, I I think first, thank you for for saying that. That's really a a testimony to uh, to the people of Delta. Well, (laughs) not just to your memory, but but your people, I know. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Delta's had, you know, historically had a reputation of being an incredibly customer-friendly airline. Um, And I think just what happened was that we just didn't not have the financial wherewithal, um, you know, in the in the early 2000s, the mid 2000s. And are we getting it back? Absolutely, Brian. So w- one of the things that just happened uh, two, three days ago was that for the first time in 10 years, uh, Air Transport World magazine uh, named a U.S. airline as airline of the year, and, and that was Delta. So Delta was voted and named the 2014 airline of the year by Air Transport World magazine. And like I said, the first time in a decade. Usually goes to of, Singapore Airlines or maybe you know, at least, Pacific. Uh, yeah, non-U.S. airline for the last 10 years. Yeah. And, and so this gives you a sense that uh, we, you know, we're getting it back not just financially, but we're getting it back. Um, you know, we're getting it back from, from, from customer experience as well. Okay. I wish I would have given you more time. The five and a half minutes we had was simply not enough. So uh, 
uh, let's let's uh, make a date to uh, to have you back in, and we'll uh, talk some more about the airline business because it is a very interesting business. Uh, it would seem a year or two ago it seemed like a horrible business to be in, and now you see share prices rising of lots of airlines. So uh, anyway, uh, good talking to you, Vinay. Thank you very much. Thank for, you, Brian, for for coming in. Uh, that's Vinay Dubey, and his proper title is senior vice president for the Asia Pacific at Delta Airlines. It's eight thirty. And that's the program for today. Markets uh, just a little bit lower this morning, but uh, not the carnage that we saw yesterday. No blood on the tracks today. The Nikkei down six points uh, in Australia. We do see a 1% drop, and Seoul is just modestly lower by about one-tenth of 1%. Weather today, uh, here's how it looks. We are expecting mainly fine conditions, cool in the morning, dry during the day, and a beautiful maximum temperature of 20 degrees. The outlook for the next couple of days, temperatures rising gradually. Let's get the latest in news at 8.31 with Janice Wong. Thousands of chickens at the Changsha Wan Wholesale Poultry Market will be called today after a sample from a Guangdong supplier tested positive for bird flu. The health secretary, Ko Wing-man, said local chicken farms will also, banned from, also be banned from supplying live poultry to the market for three weeks as the authorities step up inspections. The measures mean no live poultry will be sold in Hong Kong until February the 18th at the earliest. Dr Ko spoke to reporters. The department has declared the wholesale poultry market as an infected place. The consignment of live poultry carries H7A1 virus would be destroyed. The Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych has agreed to scrap controversial anti-pro